Welcome to the Gen X Mixtape, the nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This week, we pick up the second half of Remote Control Part 3. My next choice, I would say, is anime. Okay. This show, for about two years of my life, after probably late elementary school, like, you weren't somebody at Woodland Elementary if you didn't go home and you didn't watch this show after school every single day. Yeah, well, I went to Woodland Elementary. Was I, yeah, but you were, part, I of the, somebody but you were or, part of the chat program, yeah, so you weren't allowed to yeah, we mix with the general yeah, public. We, we were segregated. <laughs> what, it uh, referred to us kids as G-Force. Uh-huh. It was the American syndicated version of the science ninja team Gachaman, or simply Gachaman, from 1972. And that is anime. Yes, and I would agree with that. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know too if anime had to have more of a science fiction no. feel to it. That's why Speed Racer. I, I never knew if that was. Really no, considered. there are no no rules. It's just a style of animation that that comes from manga. Gotcha. That, that's gotcha. you know that's all it is. The American version was edited, and you talked about this already, so this transitions nicely. But uh, of Battle of the Battle of the Planets, by the way, was the American version uh, title of uh, we called it G Force, but it was Battle of the Planets. Came out in 1978. And the American version was edited to make the show lighter, a little less controversial, a little more appealing to kids, um, which I, a friend of mine owns the Gachaman box set. He has all of the original, and I'd, I'd like to actually see those sometime. But, uh, but our version wasn't as dark, and uh, they really tried to make it a little more Star Wars-esque to appeal to us Star Wars fans who, you know, we had Star Wars and, and that was about it. Yep. Of course, you had Battlestar Galactica, the original series, and Buck Rogers. And so here, Battle of the Plants tried to, um, if, in fact, in the, in the opening credits, you know, they focus on the R2-D2-like robot, which I don't remember any of the characters' names I, anymore. I, I don't either. I remember there was kind of the hot girl and there was like the comic relief, the guy. Was he was he a Casey Kasem voice? Maybe the, the, in green? I don't... <sighs> If you're a fan, I, I'm a horrible G-Force fan because it's been literally 40 years since I've watched it. Yeah, I, have, I haven't seen it since since that time. <laughs> but, uh, but I loved the show as a kid. I did. And, um, yeah, I mean, and, and again, the, the, the theme song, I might have chosen this more out of nostalgia for the show itself than the theme song, but the theme song is still, I think, iconic. When I pulled it up on YouTube, it all came back to me. Just, yeah, love it. Love it. Love Battle of the Planets. Watching over them from Saturn Neptune, their computerized coordinator, Seven Zark Seven. Watching, warning against surprise attacks by alien galaxies beyond space. You didn't have Battle of the Planets no, on your list? No, And you didn't watch it after I, school? No, I was, I was apparently a somebody, so I did okay. watch it. Okay, all right, I good, didn't good. Include it. The reason I didn't include it is I don't remember it well enough. Yeah. I and mean, even just right now in discourse, I have nothing to add, and I can't I, answer your questions. I just it's remember it was long. one of those, we, well, not that this is a good thing, but it was one of those things where if you wanted to be in on the conversation on the playground, 
you had to have watched that show. Hmm. And I like the show in its own right. But yeah, if, if you came to the table there at, 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 on one of the recess periods during the day and you couldn't talk about the episode from the previous day and the characters and, and not only that, but play the character, role play, uh-huh. G-Force. Okay. You know, and argue over which character you were going to be. And I mean, that was, that was, a, that was one of the big social right parts of elementary school yeah i um no i did i watched it but i i have so my my memory of it is just incredibly so I, so limited folks i included an anime title that alan did not include no one saw that coming no no, no i no one saw that coming i am uh yeah i do remember though i would say i'm impressed but that always sounds condescending no, no, no. so <laughs> i do remember though noticing at the time when watching battle of the planets that the animation was was different obviously we you know I didn't know at the time it was Japanese, but I knew that the words didn't always match up and things were a little bit bizarre. So I figured it was foreign in some way. Um, but I did notice that the way that the human faces were drawn, where it was it was distinctive to other cartoons, other obviously anime at the time that may I might have come across. Right. And I realized that there was something to that. There was some type of stylistic difference that, of course, we'd later find out what it was. But Yep. Well, we're going to stay on this theme because my next one is a contemporary uh, anime, one that is that is finding a huge audience. It's now, uh, I would argue, probably probably one of the most popular anime uh, in production, and it's becoming one of the most popular anime of all time. It's called JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Not familiar with it. Um, now, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, there are eight arcs that have already been made, uh, eight Seasons, if you will, each from a different uh, volume of of the manga. Um, so I'm going to focus just on the first season, which was the first two arcs. Okay. Um, so because otherwise I, I, we could do a podcast. And when, I got to know. I got to put it in context. Okay. What year are we talking here? Uh, 2012. 2012 network. Um, right now, JoJo can be found on. Uh, I watch it on Crunchyroll, but I am. Um, What's Crunchyroll? Crunchyroll is just it's a. Uh, it's an app, um, oh. like like Hulu or okay. or gotcha. You know, it, it's, it's it's like a it's it's a, paid, a Roku app. Yeah, it's a paid yeah. streaming gotcha. app okay. um, that that just shows anime. Gotcha. But I do believe JoJo is on Netflix now. I think at least the first three arcs are on Netflix. Okay. I know it's on Hulu, but I, yeah, I've always watched it on on Crunchyroll. Um, but okay, for the uninitiated, which would include my my partner here, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is bizarre. <laughs> okay. Just in the first two arcs alone, there are superpowers, non-lethal decapitations, cyborg Nazis, hordes of zombies, insect scarves, vampire masks, wisecracking Yankees, resurrected knights, mouth pigeons, Aztec gods, tentacle veins, and the pinnacle of evolution itself. Oh. That's just the first two arcs. And it gets, uh, you know... Trust me when I tell you, it, it only gets more bizarre from there, okay? Um, it's based on the Japanese manga series written and illustrated by Hirohiko Araki. And uh, Dojo's Bizarre Adventure, it, it's it's well known for its iconic art style and poses. And its creative battles centered around first, Hamon, which is a martial arts technique that allows its users to focus bodily energy into sunlight via controlled breathing. And then later, stands, which are psycho-spiritual manifestations with unique supernatural abilities, okay? But JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is also, and this is 
I love this more than anything. It is overflowing with Western musical references, uh, from the names of characters to ending credit theme songs. And along the, alongside the over-the-top reactions and gratuitously superpowered battles, series creator Hirohiko Araki's obsession with rock and roll name dropping lends JoJo uniqueness among its pop-laden anime peers. So check this out. In just the first two story arcs alone, the anime features characters that are named Dio, Robert E.O. Speedwagon, <laughs> Zeppeli, Wang Chan, Poco, Loggins, Messina, <laughs> Ton Petty, you got me seeing him there. Doobie, Geyer, and Streso, Paige, Jones, Plant, Bonham, Jeff Back, Father Sticks, Smokey, Donovan, Santana, Wham, ACDC, Cars, Lisa Lisa, and Susie Q. Wow. And protagonist Joseph Joestar is trained in Hamon on Air Supplina Island. Jeez. Okay. And you'll appreciate this. The holy grail of Joseph Joestar's quest is the redstone of Asia, spelled A-J-A. Uh-huh. And named, nice. obviously, for the song and album by Steely Dan. Nice. All these references continue throughout the next six story arcs with, I mean, it's a virtual who's who of rock and roll history. But but the rock and roll name dropping plays no part in the anime's opening themes that they're all original gorgeously crafted openings each is hyper stylized to the arc the era the atmosphere of the current joestar protagonist because it follows the line the ancestry of one family the joestars uh but ask any random fan of the of the of the show myself included and they're gonna almost definitely tell you that their favorite opening is uh bloody bloody stream and bloody stream is from the battle tendency segment of the series um how they're likely to screen their answer and then force you to watch it with them on loop for hours at a time, really. Uh, written by Seori Kodama and composed by uh, Toshiyuki Omori, um, it was the debut single by Japanese recording artist Koda, and the horns and the funky sound of this rocking number epitomized the, the fanatic and colorful 80s energy that spilled out of the screen and directly into your eyes and ears. Just a sensory explosion. Uh, it's not an exaggeration to say that this is probably one of the best openings I've seen in all of my time watching anime. Hmm. Arguably one of the best opening things I've seen in 47 years of watching cartoons. This is another way. Uh, this is not a gateway series in the same way Cowboy Bebop is. Bebop, I know you would like. JoJo, I think you would really, really enjoy it just for the the rock and roll, the, the Western music uh, references alone. But it, 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 trust me when I say it is aptly named. It is JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And it's just, it's unlike any other anime that has come before or probably after. So... Very there cool. is my next one. Okay, well, here's another obvious one, and I think you probably have it on your list. Um, I would expect, since it's 
uh, after The Simpsons and maybe in front of South Park as far as popularity for adult-oriented animated programming in prime time. This one might be the one I left off because I knew you would have it. Well, family Guy. Yep. Yes, I, I knew you'd guy. have it, and I very deliberately did not include it. So, Family Guy uh, began in 1999. Um, Seth MacFarlane's primetime animated series was actually canceled after the third season, but the high DVD sales of the first three seasons and the ratings for syndication uh, or syndicated viewings of the show actually pushed the network to renew it for a fourth season. Currently, there have been 18 seasons with a 19th in the works, 349 episodes so far. So if you were just to line up The Simpsons and South Park and Family Guy, you would have enough if you were on a desert island somewhere to keep you occupied for probably ever. (laughs) The series has been praised by critics for its brand of satire. Again, um, like South Park and, and Simpsons, I think that's the same power to the series is because of its satirical element. And, and Family Guy has an element of it that's a, a little bit different than The Simpsons and South Park. We talked about South Park can be very political in its satire. Right. And The Simpsons is kind of more of a study of you just, um, I, I think, American culture. Whereas Family Guy, it's more about just, um, would you say... I, it's it's really just uh, the infusion of all things pop culture. That's what I would say. It's, it's more of a yeah. satire of just pop culture in general. Right, yeah. And, and, and television, movies, music uh, over the past, you know, several decades. I remember one of the first episodes I watched of Family Guy. And, of course, it's so random. A lot of people that don't like Family Guy don't like it because of that reason. Because even though there's a through storyline in most episodes, things are just thrown out just to be thrown out. Oh, yeah. And one of those random bits um, was the, the chuck wagon um, Remember the dog food commercial? Oh, yeah. And the chuck yep. wagon would come out and the dog would chase it. That was a popular 70s commercial. Right. And so when that happened, in, the, in just out of nowhere in the middle of a show, I was hooked. You know, it's one of those things where most people, unless you're born prime hour age, probably wouldn't have gotten that reference. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's something that, um, you know, The Simpsons kind of transcends age. I think anybody can tune in at any time. Right. Um, and South Park is timely. So... Um, you know, really, even though it's it's been on on air for twenty plus years, I mean, just just knowing you know current events, you can pretty much tune into any episode and and follow what they're doing because the overarching theme or, or plot of the of the, of an episode of South Park is self explanatory. But yeah, Family Guy is one that it it is it, it dates itself very deliberately uh, in each episode. And I think unless you are Gen X, yeah, not that you won't enjoy it, but you certainly won't understand what they're parroting much of the time. You don't have that problem with like the Cleveland show, which was short-lived, right, or, right. or Futurama. I mean, a lot of these other shows, uh, American Dad. Um, right. Which I never but, was a big fan of Yeah, American I'm, I'm Dad. not either. Um, but, you know, a lot of these other ones, not as much. Family Guy is just really... It tangents in so many ways. I mean, I remember, I mean, it's, it's not, as an example, I mean, they'll be at the grocery store and, you know, one of the characters is pulled into the aha, take on me video, you know, it, it's without explanation and without adding to, to plot. I mean, things like this happen always. Just fun, <laughs> fun road trips and the nostalgia. It seems today that all you see is violence in movies and sex on TV. But where are those good old-fashioned values on which we used to rely? 
Death in I left this one off. I knew you would have it. You, you, you've mentioned having it yes. on this episode prior. Yes. So yeah, it's been nominated for scores of Emmys, having won eight, and it's uh, of course also been sued several times. Uh, the show consistently citing its First Amendment right of parody and fair use. Um, in defense, I think they've won pretty much every one. There's one that where they settled out of court, but for what I forget which one it was. I'll have to look back. Yeah, but, that that I. But most of them they end up winning because it is parody. You know, we talk about fair use applies. That's why Weird Al doesn't necessarily have to get permission to parody his songs. He always does out of good faith for the other artists. Right. But and he, it, yeah, when he respects the wishes of those who say no. Correct. So. Correct. But uh, it's you know education, news broadcasting, satire. And parody, and you have satire and parody. Family Guy can make a pretty good case for the use of. And so, did you ever see the? There is an episode of where Peter explains um, fair use and, and parody oh, yes. by using all the different. Yeah, there's they, it, kind of like South Park. They just push it to the limit and they, they see how much they can get away with. The theme song, however, is sung by uh, the cast, and it starts as an homage to All in the Family with uh, Peter and Lois at the at the piano. At the piano, yep. Um, singing, um, well, for All in the Family, it was those were the days. But the, the theme song has a similar type of idea that things have changed and TV's different, culture's different. And it ends with the entire family performing a choreographed dance stage or dance on stage, including Brian the dog. Yeah, I, I think McFarland secretly uh, wanted to, to you know be a hit on Broadway. <laughs> so, um, because we'll talk about a multi-talented oh, guy. Absolutely. Who's also good-looking. So how's that fair? He has all those traits, <laughs> but he's got an excellent radio voice. Um, he's got a great singing voice. Like I said, he's an attractive dog guy, he's creative, he's funny. He's you know, he won the the genetic lottery there. But, yep. Uh, yep, that's family guy. Well, we've hit the big 3 primetime. Yes. Um, yes. You know, I two that I did not include but wanted to. One is Rick and Morty, which I absolutely love. I love Rick and Morty. It's another one that's now pushing, pushing the you know, the envelope, uh, trying to see what they can get away with. And I've never watched an episode. You've never seen Rick and Morty. I've never watched an episode. Oh, Dave. I, I hear good things. I know I'd you, like it if you, I check it out. You'd be hooked. You'd be hooked immediately. I really, really wanted to include it, but the and and the song, the theme song for Rick and Morty, it's 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 almost Doctor Who esque, which means nothing to you, <laughs> but uh, it has that science fiction well, because vibe of and, remote control right, too. Yeah, I now know you, you know the so, theme. Yeah. Uh, very like very much like that, but it's a very short theme. Okay, and I, you know, as short as it was, I I didn't want to justify putting a twenty second theme on our. The same reason I didn't list. choose Breaking Bad, right? For yeah, our very much part two. The other one, you know, I really wanted to bring in. Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, that's another. Yeah, I yeah. really wanted. Again, to include, it's just a little guitar. Yeah, riff. It's, it's a guitar riff that lasts maybe ten seconds. Right. And then I thought, well, maybe King of the Hill, but I, I was never a huge fan. Right. Of King yeah, of the either Hill, was so. I. Um, but no, South Park, Family Guy, and Simpsons. We've we've hit definitely the popular cultural um, prime time trifecta. Prime, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so that makes it my turn again, and this is the last of my anime. Uh, choices. This one is actually uh, anime style. When you talked about like uh, Samurai, Samurai Jack, Jack, yeah. yeah. Um, this one is. Um, I mean, it's very much anime, but it, it is not uh, not not anime uh, from manga production. I mean, it, it's definitely Americanized. 
um, and it is Teen Titans. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. And the theme song, um, which, um, you know, Teen Titans Go, it's by the, the J-pop band Puffy Amiyumi. Um, I, it, well, I'm talking about the original, not Teen Titans Go, which is now the newer version where they're much younger and it's more slapstick. But but the original Teen Titans, when it premiered in 2003 on um, Cartoon Network. Isn't Nightwing on that? No. No, no, no. no. Um, now, Nightwing is showing up in the Teen Titans live action. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, because Dick Grayson has just become Nightwing. Because I always liked Nightwing and, and yeah. he never really appeared in anything. Right. Well, I yeah. Well, the theme song, I mean, it, it says when there's trouble, you know who to call. And, uh, you know, to me, it always... Uh, immediately beckons us. Uh, it reminds me of Ghostbusters, but but you sing these songs to any self-respecting fanboy of comics, and they will answer Teen Titans. It's my all-time favorite DC animated series because um, it, it it is its demographic is very purposefully um, you know the storylines are aimed at a teenage audience, which Teen Titans are teenage, right. and it, that that sets it apart from all of the rest. Um, it was based on the popular DC Comics characters, um, and in, in 2003, it became a huge hit for Cartoon Network. The, the cartoon was one of the network's darkest shows, and with good reason. The show was created by Glenn Murakami, developed by David Slack, and produced by Warner Brothers Animation. And despite high ratings, the series shut down production after five seasons, with the series finale episode, Things Change, airing in 2006. The Teen Titans is based primarily on the stories told in the early 80s, the new Teen Titans comic book franchise. And it tells the adventures of the teen crime-fighting group called the Teen Titans, featuring Robin, Raven, Starfire, Beast Boy, and Cyborg. Okay. Now, all, all but Cyborg are actually in the, the new live-action series. Teen Titans, the actual comics, uh, the comic franchise, it features a lot more characters. Uh, Wonder Girl, Aqualad, I mean, there are several, um, Kid Flash. While it is an action cartoon, uh, the series, you know, it, it also heavily, it's also heavily character driven, um, with a focus on the main character's struggles with being superheroes, their mutual friendships, relationships, love interests, and their limitations. Um, it is teenage drama, uh, primarily. A major difference between the animated series and the comic book, though, is that while the comic portrayed the characters as being in their late teens to early 20s, uh, resulting in the comic series at one point even dropping the word teen from its title to reflect uh, its older characters. The animated series characters were all depicted as being in their mid-teen years, approximately 14 to 16 years old. Um, and by focusing on teenage conflicts, it was far more relatable to its intended audience 
then Super Friends, Batman the Animated Series, Justice League, and all the other DC animated juggernauts that, that preceded it. Uh, the Teen Titans theme, it was written by Andy Sturmer, and it was composed by Japanese performers Ami Onuki and Yumi Yoshimura, better known, as I said, as the J-pop recording artist Puffy Ami Yumi. The song actually has been released uh, both in its original Japanese as well as an English translation, and both of which, both of those have, have been featured on uh, alternating episodes of the Teen Titans cartoon. Um, it's really interesting to note. Episodes that use the theme when it is sung in Japanese are intended to be comedic and funny, while the episodes that uh, feature the theme song sung in English are intended to have a more serious tone. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the theme proved so popular that the band got their own animated show, Hi Hi Puffy Ami Yumi, uh, which ran on Cartoon Network from 2004 to 2006 and showed the adventures of the, you know, the, the duo, the, the, the band uh, in their own misadventures. Uh, there's just no denying uh, the high energy Japanese surf rock anthem for the cartoon. I mean, it, it, it absolutely slaps and it's just another one that I really wanted to include here. Very so. cool. Yeah, I did, never watched Teen Titans. I, I was aware of it. Yeah. No, it's very good. It's like the Batman. In fact, uh, some people consider the, the Batman um, animated series of that era to be the greatest animated cartoon of all time. Yeah. And, and when, I haven't watched you know, it. You know, I almost included it. The reason, mm-hmm. the only reason I didn't include Batman the animated series is because most of the music, it, it, it a lot of it is from Tim Burton's Batman films. Oh, okay. And I didn't feel that that necessarily was a, a fair, you know. And that's the one where Mark Hamill plays Joker? Joker, yeah. yeah. I've heard good things um, about that. Yeah. Have you seen the new Harley Quinn cartoon? Oh, I love it. That's it is. The, it is. Kaylee Cuoco is just I watched both genius. seasons of that like in a weekend. Yeah. That was one of the most amazing things I've seen yeah, recently. I, it is. I, I, I'm in love with it. I, I love, I, yeah, I love, watch I, it I love Harley Quinn anyway. I, I do too. And so, it, but that was, it was so spot on. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, and it, the, I did, the writing's so smart. Yep. The characters are great. Didn't include it. Um, doesn't have really much of a theme. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it's fantastic. So... Um, now, similarly, have you seen the Titans live action show? I have not. Show? No, no. Okay. If, if you ever do watch it, I'm curious to get your opinion on okay. it. Okay. I didn't even know there was a Titans live yeah, action. I, I like it, but I've been very conflicted with some of the choices they've made. So. Okay. Yeah, let's see. All right. Moving on. All right. This is the one that I was alluding to at the beginning of the episode, which technically is not a TV series, but a series of TV specials. Hmm. That have one of the most iconic themes of any animated characters okay. in history. Have no clue yet. I'm thinking Schoolhouse Rock, but nope. I, no, okay. Nope. Um, the very first to air was 1965, and this iconic theme was included for the first time in that 1965 special. Oh, 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 we have a match. It's it's on my alternates list, though. Okay. Are we talking Peanuts? We're talking Peanuts, okay. yes. Yeah. Uh, like I say, taking the greatest liberty with the criteria here as it was not used specifically for a television series, and it's not the intro, but again, you can't think of Charlie Brown and the Peanuts without thinking of... Linus and Lucy. Linus and Lucy. Yep. Yep. We have, we have, it's on my alternates list. I, I, I relegated it to the alternates because I didn't know if... It was technically... Well, I went there, yes. Okay, good, good. Um, of course, most familiar to most people are the, Charlie Brown's Christmas in 1965. It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, 1966. Uh, you could make a case for the, the Thanksgiving episode being kind of classic 
there was an election day one. Valentine's Day. And then it started to kind of go, I mean, the other ones aren't as well known. I know they're still making specials. Are they uh, still making they, they still are. I, I don't, I mean, I say still. I know in, in, at least when my kids were okay. growing up, uh, there would be some on television. They're still showing the classics oh, on the networks every single they're gonna holiday season. They're going to show Great Pumpkin and Christmas until time and infinitum. But I, I um, do you remember the movies too? Like Snoopy Come Home from the... Late seventies, early eighties. I, I think I remember so. seeing it at the McKinley Theater with my parents. Yeah, I don't know that I and, saw it in the theater, but, the, but there were TV. there were a number of theatrical releases yeah, as well right. that used the theme. Well, it's so. based on the a comic by Charles Schultz, of course, and um, he was actually working on a documentary that was never released. That um, I forget. It was a boy named Charlie Brown. I think was the name of it. And uh, and Vince Guardi is that how we pronounce Gar- it? Guardi. Guardi. Yeah. Guardi. Um, you know. Had he was brought in to score this particular documentary, and which the documentary, like I said, was never released, uh, but he did release a record prior to 1965 called Jazz Impressions of a Boy Named Charlie Brown, and that included this theme, Linus and Lucy, for the first time. But it really became popular in the Christmas episode. In fact, so much to the point where um, when the radio waves will soon be taken over by Christmas music, um, you hear Linus and Lucy as a Christmas song now you, as well. You do, yeah. Because it's... Um, it's it's so synonymous with the Christmas special. Just, I don't have much more to say to it other than the fact that I think most people from our generation remember that scene in the Christmas episode where they're all dancing at the party. Yep. And you have that one character, you're a pig pan, of course, and you have that one character that kind of turns left and right <laughs> and does this crazy dance. And this is before Peppermint Patty and, and, and uh, Marcy make an appearance. Right, yeah, it's they not came later. Until the probably the Thanksgiving episode. They were, they well, I think they're in The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Are they? I, I didn't think they were. Think I'm, I don't have to, have to go back and okay. check. Yeah. Um, no, it was on my alternates. I, um, uh, what's uh, The other theatrical film I remember was uh, Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back. Okay. That was yeah. another one. But um, no, Linus and Lucy, I mean, it's a fun song, but it's definitely also an earworm. You know, it's, it's easily recognizable even to those who have never watched a Peanuts holiday special. And... That's just how pervasive the song is in American culture, really. it's It's been heard just about everywhere. And the song has become so well-known that only a few chords are even needed to really get it stuck in your head. Right. Um, but, yeah, Penis Specials, man, they were they were just a treat to those who grew up in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. I mean, once the scheduled day and, and time was announced, I remember I planned my entire evening around the viewing of, you know, of the, the special with growing anticipation. My, my favorite was It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Right. That was always my favorite. Well, do you um, remember, too, on CBS, 
they would have the 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 special promo spot where it was like the rolling drums and, and yeah. it, it was like a disco multicolored word special text and it spun yeah. into we should put that on the I, playlist I, too. Yeah, the, I can the see the it right, right now. Yeah, as a kid, you know when that when it hit prime time when when it hit eight o'clock and you saw that man you knew. Mm-hmm. Because again, I, well, I, we didn't get t- Family Guide in my house, so I, it, everything was a surprise to me. Oh, you didn't get TV Guide. We didn't get TV Guide. I got mine, and I studied it at the start. And, of every and so day, it was, so. it was like it was like the lottery in my house. Like you know, seven fifty eight, seven fifty nine, eight o'clock would hit. Oh, it's just mash. But man, if that special thing came across, oh, that was it. That mm. was the best night. No, I, I got the TV Guide. We we got TV Guide, and I studied it I, every every Sunday. I would start at the beginning, and I would just. Like lay out my I I made detailed schedules based on the shows I wanted to watch. I I was just hooked on television. I was I was raised on screens. I admit it. Um, but no, yeah, you know, in retrospect though, the cartoons they were really poorly animated, and, and the stories were overly simple. You know, but but that was by design. I mean, today the cartoons are a test. The the, the penis cartoons they're, they're a testament to a more innocent time. You know, before the rise of computers and the zombification of, of smartphones and the animated specials now feel incredibly dated, really. Very quaint. Um, but they're still dear to my heart. I, and repeat viewings, you know, bring just a wave of nostalgia. I will say, though, as, you know, a Jewish kid growing up, um, I remember watching the Christmas episode year after year after year. And my parents knew I was watching it, you know, because there's that whole scene where, where Linus gets up and he starts really given the gospel, you know, and, you know, as Jewish kids, and I, I talked to others who, like me, we watched it and we're just like, huh, <laughs> you know, not, not fully understanding what it is that Linus is, 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 you know, explaining about the, the reason for the season. Um, but then, you know, our parents grew up on the, the peanut specials too, and yeah. they, they watched it, right. you know, and, and heard Linus doing it. it. To me, it's just kind of funny now, but actually I, I really respected and I loved that it actually helped me to understand Christmas, what Christmas you know, was, what, yeah. What Christmas was, because you know, I had my eight candles at Hanukkah and knew I was, you know, the token Jew. So it was really nice to actually get an educational bearing for well, you know, the holiday season. Christmas is, cha- I mean, Christmas is still a religious holiday for many Christians, of course. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> Christmas has also become more of a modern American holiday um, that's taken on a whole different, you know, mantle that people celebrate. Agnostics, atheists, oh yeah, Jews celebrate and that's just the idea of the the Americanization of just you know the Christmas tree and presents and the music and so forth so a lot of people can separate that that celebrate it and they don't celebrate the religious um, connotations of it as well Um, I was always jealous we didn't have a tree because I would go to Hallmark and see all the ornaments and be I I want that one that one that one but I had no tree to hang them on so I never now some Jews I know I know several they have have the Hanukkah bush I know some have a Christmas tree because they celebrate the secular spirit of Christmas really now is it an intermarried family though Um, maybe because I I don't know any Jewish families that that do that but uh, half the the greatest Christmas albums are made from Jewish performers well yes that is very true you'd you'd be amazed (laughs) folks at how many of the Christmas uh, songs that you love were Jewish written and I will say this about Charles Schultz Um, you know you mentioned Josie and the Pussycats and the the first animated um, African American animated character in a series um, when when Schultz introduced Franklin, the character of Franklin, yeah, Franklin, he got a lot of pushback. Mm-hmm. He really, really did. Yes, and did. on the Thanksgiving episode, I believe it was, he had Franklin sitting as an equal with the rest of the kids, which we wouldn't think of twice today. Right. And he got, I don't know if it was the network or who it was, pushed back 
and didn't want Franklin included at the table as an equal. And, and he said, no, this is the way it's going to be. So yep. yeah. well, kudos to being ahead of his time and Absolutely. staying up for what was and, right. And, and very brave, actually, because especially in the South, it was likely that he lost a lot of a lot of viewers and a lot of readers of, of his strip when he did it. Well, my next pick, and I already alluded to it earlier, um, it debuted in 1974, and it is Hong Kong Fooey. Okay? Um, now, the, the intro always asked the question, who is the superhero? Sarge, Rosemary, the telephone operator, Penry, the mild-mannered janitor, and then you'd have Scatman Crothers uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek say, could be. Um, I, I, I loved this cartoon. I mean, Penrod Penry Pooch, <laughs> uh, which was voiced by the jazz legend and character actor Scatman Crothers, was an anthropomorphic dog who worked as a janitor in the police station, and when he overheard a crime being reported by Rosemary to the Sarge, he dove into a filing cabinet, and after usually getting stuck in the drawers, he emerged as Hong Kong Fooey, the number one super guy. Is the superhero Sarge? No. Rosemary, the telephone operator? No. Henry, the mild-mannered janitor? Could be. Hong Kong Pooey, number one super guy. Hong Kong Pooey, quicker than the human eye. He's got style, a groovy style, and a mind that just won't stop. When the going gets rough, he's super tough with a Hong Kong fooey chop. Yeah! Hong Kong fooey, number one super guy. Hong Kong fooey, quicker than the human eye. He had his trusty book, the Hong Kong Book of Kung Fu, and he had his striped cat, Spot, which was voiced by Don Messick, yep. who voiced everyone, especially Scooby, most famously. And he drove the Fooey Mobile. And, you know, Fooey fumbled his way through protecting the city from the baddest of the bad. Um, Hong Kong Fooey debuted on ABC in September 74, and it ran for a single season of just 16 episodes. Uh, the show continued to be shown in rerun rotations for the next two years before eventually being paired up with Godzilla on Saturday mornings. Did you say only 16 episodes? 16 episodes, wow. yeah. Um, yeah, it was paired up with Godzilla, and it became the Godzilla Hong Kong Fooey Hour in 1981. Um, now, each episode featured two uh, segments. Right. So, yeah, in, in reruns, you know, they would generally only show one segment, which made it then... 32 episodes. And, gotcha. But also, that's that's something I learned here. How many of my favorite shows when I was young on Saturday mornings were reruns, and how many of those reruns had very limited numbers of episodes. Right. Because as a kid, I remember seeing hundreds of episodes of these cartoons. I know they had to have been the same episodes again and again, but right. for whatever reason, my memory does not work that way. I remember just a plethora of, of episodes for most of these shows. It's It's... it's just, I, I can't wrap my head around it. Um, the show's theme song, entitled Hong Kong Fooey, was written and composed by Hoyt Curtin, William Hanna, Joseph Barbera, and sung by Crothers himself. And for the end credits, an instrumental version of the same song was used. And uh, despite the theme song, though, Fooey was a classic screw-up, and he usually failed to save the city, only to be saved by Spot. Um, in a few rare circumstances, Hong Kong Fooey actually did save the city, but usually as an unintended side effect of his intended attack going horribly wrong. Um, but yeah, Hong Kong Fooey, uh, it, it was 
he was a respected superhero who always got full credit for Spot's successes. And, and the cartoon, you know, it, it really was inspired by a sudden kung fu craze in 1973. Um, the television series Kung Fu, starring David Carradine, right. uh, debuted in 73. And it just sparked this fad, which seemed to find its way into every outlet of 70s popular culture. Now, now have you watched the show recently? Because I'm wondering, any time you deal with cultural issues, you have the whole right. cultural appropriation and stereotypes. Is it, is it one that hasn't aged well, or did they just kind of touch on it light enough where... It, it was, yeah, it is light enough that it really does not, um, yeah, I, I watching it, I don't feel, I don't feel that dirty. Yeah, right, you gotcha. Know, uh, because some, some cartoons you do, you, you watch it and you just right. cringe at, right, at right. the appropriation. Right. This one was just, no, it, it was it was innocent, it was light, and you know, it was just a part of that craze. I mean, no, I remember watching no, no different than Kung Fu Fighting by Carl Douglas, right, really. Because right. so I remember watching uh, uh, that show, um, but nowhere near as much. And I think probably the first cartoon character as a kid I remember uh, watching was Underdog. Oh, yes. So that was my yes. anamorphic dog. Yep. Who I almost included. I don't even have him on my alternate list, but I, I wanted to. Underdog. So... Maybe you'll have them. Don't know. I don't have Underdog. Don't have Underdog? I don't. It was a great theme song, though. Yeah, it was. All right. Well, it is your turn, sir. All right. Ha, 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 um, it began as a way to anthologize all of those shorts um, that played in the theater for decades prior to the television show beginning on ABC and then eventually NBC. I'm ashamed of you for what? that laugh. That was <laughs> god-awful. <laughs> Come on, you can, try it again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dave, you're killing me. <laughs> you're killing me, Smalls. Okay, go on. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I can do it. <laughs> there we go. Guess who? Yeah, yeah. I am. Um, Ah, Woody. Woody Woodpecker. <laughs> tell me you, tell me that that's not a double entendre just waiting to be well, found. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, um, does that a match for you? I do not yeah, have Woody. Okay. I left him off. Uh, the television show, um, like I say, it changed over the years, going from ABC to NBC and syndication. Um, some of the seasons incorporated live action segments um, with the animators. Um, I, I don't remember really? that version of it. I do not remember that at um, all. In, in news from around the world. For, so some of them had the animator explaining the process. Um, which, which kind of like Wild World of Disney would do that sometimes where yeah. they would show you behind well, the, the scenes a little Disney, bit. I remember Disney, but I don't... And so they would do that. Um, or like newsreels about news from around the world. So it sounds like they were kind of filling, filling as much as they could with some filler stuff. But uh, Woody was voiced, we mentioned earlier, by Mel Blanc, who also voiced many Looney Tune characters like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and Porky Pig. Um, and Woody Woodpecker was a huge favorite of mine. It's one of those that I don't remember if it was after school or... It's Saturday morning or what, but um, it was one that uh, I watched a lot in the house. I remember watching that one after school. Okay. Primarily. And then the theme song, which included that erratic melody, which I refused to attempt, um, <laughs> is maybe one of the most iconic animated theme songs right. ever.
Well, in 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 the forties, um, there was actually a full release with lyrics. Um, I forget who's very famously sung by a couple of different big recording artists. The Woody Woodpecker song. Um, see if I can't find it to put it on our, yeah. our YouTube playlist because it, it's actually the extended version. I mean, there are a lot of lyrics, and it's. Uh, I think Woody even sings a version of that that uh, that song because it, it it's the basis of the animated theme. But you know, the song I think came first. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not know. sure. Um, yeah, and no, I left Woody. I, I left off a lot of the the classics. I mean, I love Woody Woodpecker. I love Tom and Jerry. I like Popeye. I, I was never into Popeye as much as some of the others. But all of these characters, I just. I, That's for, why I, for whatever reason, I just I didn't include them, and but I think it's largely it, it's like the Rick and Morty and the Beavis and Butthead. Right. Their themes are so short that I wanted to. That's true, but Woody Woodpecker, that just that melody is oh, yeah. so iconic. I we had to include that yeah. on the show. Well, and you know, Walter Lance characters, they were another one that Spielberg negotiated and got into Who Frames Roger. That's correct. Roger Rabbit, Woody Woody Woodpecker is there. So yeah, um, no, I love Woody Woodpecker, but I. Yeah, did not include him. Not a match. So, all right. Yep. You done with him? Yep. Okay. Uh, well, I am all alternates now to the end of the the episode. So I'm going to start with one that I told you I had. It was as an alternate. Um, I'm going to just throw it out there: the new Scooby Doo movies. Um, you know, Scooby. The new Scooby-Doo movies, it, it is not Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I mean, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You is the the pinnacle. It is the greatest. Of, and you could of tell it had a totally different feel to it. It did, yeah. Um, yeah, well, the first incarnation, you know, Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? I mean, it, it launched in the fall of 69. It soon became Hanna-Barbera's crowning achievement. But after two seasons of unmasking crooked, crooked culprits, I mean, the time had come to refresh the concept. And... Fred Silverman wanted to keep what was essentially his baby from becoming too stale, so when the time came to renew Scooby for a third season, he decided to punch things up a bit. Uh, some slight tweaks to the show, Scooby got his first of many reinventions. I mean, uh, fundamentally, the show was the same. All the voice actors, the original voice actors, moved on uh, to the new Scooby-Doo movies. Including Casey Kasem as Shaggy? Yeah, Casey was there. Um, yeah, they're all the same. Um, Don Messick, you know, Don Messick would play Scooby until his death. But, um, you know, fundamentally, although fundamentally the same, the second incarnation of the franchise was titled The New Scooby-Doo Movies. Wasn't it an hour as opposed to a half yes, an hour? exactly, yeah. It, it ran for a full hour, and it was the very first cartoon in history to do that with a single story and character rather than several segments with multiple characters. Um, it also introduced the concept of the celebrity team-up the Scooby-verse. Yes. Right? In each episode, Mystery Inc. would team up with one or more guest stars. Some are real, some are animated. Uh, Real-life celebrity guests. You ready? Let me let me get a few here. Okay. Harlem Globetrotters. Actually, they were not... They were real-life, but they were voiced by... Uh, they were not the original... Oh, you mean real-life as in... Yeah, I mean, literally the by. actual okay. voice by. Don Knotts was one. Yeah, he's the only one that appeared twice. Um, wasn't... Um, okay, go ahead. I'm... I'm you done? <laughs> well, I'm just... Okay, well, here's the list. Don Adams. Don Adams, that's what I was thinking. Sonny and Cher, Tim Conway, Phyllis Diller, Sandy Duncan, Dick Van Dyke, Cass Elliott, Davy Jones, 
Don Knotts, Jerry Reed, and Jonathan Winters. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. I, I remember Don um, Adams one specifically. Yeah, all of them provided their own voices. Other celebrity guest stars were voiced by impersonators, such as Laurel and Hardy. Yes. Who, yeah. were, who were long dead. Right. Uh, and the Three Stooges, who were alive but very, very elderly. I remember the Three Stooges episode. All other celebrity guests were Hanna-Barbera characters, including... The Harlem Globetrotters. Gotcha. Harlem Globetrotters actually had a their own animated series by Hanna Barbera, um, based of course on on the, the team. But um, they, you know, the actual Globetrotters themselves never voiced their own characters. Gotcha. Uh, Josie and the Pussycats also uh, were teamed up with them. Genie uh, teamed up with them. There was a Genie cartoon that was. Based on I Dream of Genie, okay. but not based on I Dream of Genie, right. <laughs> which is a long story, and I don't have Genie on my list, so I'm not going to go into it here. Speed Buggy was another one uh, that teamed up with them. Um, and Batman and Robin. Yes, appeared. I remember the Batman and Robin episode. Yeah, they that actually they appeared cool. twice, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but um, they had basically, they were introduced in part because they were being, they, the following season, they were going to have their own animated show. And they were going to team up with other superheroes, and that's you know that was Super Friends. Right? Now, as you describe it, it sounds horrible. And as a kid, I probably didn't know how horrible it was. It just reinforces my belief that the original Scooby Doo was just the best not to be messed with. However, I do specifically remember the theme song to the Scooby Doo uh-huh. show. Yes, and I do agree it should be included. Well, you know, I, I went back and I rewatched these, and they're really not as bad as it's as it sounds on paper mm. um the, the thing is it it was far it, it was lighter in tone yes but yes. that's in part because you know the broadcast uh you know the broadcast networks you know through complaints from families and you know then the legislation that followed they they really had to tone down <clears throat> they really had to tone down a lot of the darker elements even of Scooby Doo, where are yeah, you? That's which what made already, it good. Yeah. Um, so you know the emphasis here was primarily comedy, and it was largely focused on on a couple of things: Scooby and Shaggy's cowardice, Daphne's beauty, <laughs> and the celebrities themselves. Um, and Fred's ascot. Yes, Fred's ascot. So Scrappy hadn't appeared yet. No, though. Scrappy. That was Scrappy. That was still, a Saturday morning cartoon. Yeah, thing. Scrap, Scrappy. Scooby and Scrappy show. Yeah, that, that, you're still ten years away from yeah, Scooby good. and Scrappy at this point. Um, yeah, so I, you know, it ran for two seasons, um, and, it, and it ran alongside Scooby Doo. Where are you? I and mean, they showed both together until 1976. In the meantime, creative creator Fred Silverman moved to ABC to become the network president and revitalized their programming, much the same way he did for CBS. And when he did, uh, CBS chose to let their option on Scooby expire, and Silverman quickly snatched it up and brought his creation Scooby to to ABC with him. Um, for syndication, now this is interesting. For syndication, and I remember this, the hour-long episodes were chopped in half, and they aired on consecutive days. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And while this version of Scooby was very successful during its run, in syndication it became a, a real oddity. Yeah. Because you know it ran through the '80s, the the new Scooby-Doo movies, but you know most of the guest stars had become really obscure right. by the 1980s so most 80s kids they had no idea who Phyllis Diller was no, or right, Sandy right, Duncan right, right? right but that didn't matter because they were Scooby fans after all um, but the original theme from Scooby-Doo or Are You it, it was a monkeys-esque pop masterpiece but you know it's masterful tone and economy perfectly mirrored the series that preceded this one in contrast Hanna-Barbera flipped the Epoco um, the Epoco uh, Scooby-Doo theme into something boldly orchestrally 
showbiz for the new Scooby-Doo movies. Yeah, yeah. All the stars are here waiting for you. Couldn't have a show without you. That's what the theme said. It jettisoned verses, and it prominently featured Messick's cowardly canine vocals, really. Uh, composed by Hanna-Barbera's musical director, Hoyt Curtin, the theme featured Fred, Daphne, Velma, Shaggy shouting, Hey, Scooby, followed by Shaggy calling out, Where are you? Um, you know, the original theme remains very the very best of the Scooby-Doo franchise. But this one, with its head bobbing upbeat groove and its scooby dooby dee doo riff, I'm not going to sing that one since you wouldn't laugh like Woody. Uh, so, <laughs> I, didn't bring, I didn't sing Frank Sinatra no, either, true. so I'm scooby, consistent. scooby dee doo Yeah, that, that riff, it remains uh, really, for me, a close second. Yeah. Uh, the melody, this melody too, was then recycled time and again. Hanna-Barbera continued to use this theme song, the melody from this theme song, as both incidental music and variations of every Scooby-Doo title. The reason I had to include it, not only do I love the theme song, I mean, again, it's not as good as the original, but this, I think, may be the first Scooby-Doo I really remember. I remember watching this, seeing episodes of this before I saw Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? Really? Even though they, they showed them at the same time, I just, I really remember the team-ups. And when I think back on when what I first saw, I, I think... New Scooby-Doo movies was my introduction. Now, Where Are You came right. immediately after. But, um, yeah, there's just a special place in my heart for the new Scooby-Doo movies. I, yeah, I mean, I watched them. I enjoyed them. I just I just love the 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 horror element of the original. Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, and the original is still the greatest. I mean, it, it'll never... They'll, uh, a cartoon of that caliber will never be released again. You know, and I, we've talked about the masterpieces that are SpongeBob and Phineas and Ferb and the like, but we're talking about just a show that was so. What's the word I'm looking for here? I mean, it, it defined a generation, sure, and and sure. literally, it, you know, it. It's, you know, you know Scooby Doo and Star Wars and like you could just name about yeah. five or six oh. bedrocks of Gen X culture. Yeah, and, and yeah, no, Scooby Doo is definitely. You know, one of those cornerstones. So, yeah. all right, all right. Now we're up to my probably my no, I'm sure my favorite of all of, and probably the last one I have to talk about today of all the theatrical um, shorts that were made into a television show. Yeah, you only have a few left. This one I watched more than any of them. I watched more than Looney Tunes. I watched more than Woody Woodpecker. Definitely more than I watched Mighty Mouse. This one I watched constantly. Probably my favorite of the theatrical shorts as well. Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, yep. Tom and Jerry is my favorite. They they actually beat out Looney Tunes for me. Wow, yeah. I, that surprises me for you because I know how much you like Looney Tunes. I do, but I love Tom and Jerry. Tom and Jerry, uh, the TV show, began in 1965, ran all the way through 72 on ABC for the original run. And, of course, there have been updated Tom and Jerry cartoons as well. Thank goodness no live-action CGI yet that I know of <laughs> yet. <laughs> yet. Um, but this is the thing about the theme, okay? It's a short theme, 
But the theme seems so much longer because the show, remember, didn't have a proper intro. It just had title cards. Yep. And so as a kid, you're, you want the show to begin, and there are these boring title cards. Heck, I couldn't even read it at the time, probably. <laughs> and, but that, that, that music got me amped up for the show, and it was just almost like just, just gearing you up before the show started. And, and so that's why anytime I hear that Tom and Jerry theme song, because you first have the roar of the lion, which at some of the episodes had Jerry, I believe, lip-syncing the roar. The switch came. Jerry began performing the roar when Chuck Jones took over the animation. Yes, okay. That, okay. that was the switch. Chuck Jones animated But I just roar. In my head, I hear that right now, and I'm just waiting for the title cards to be over so the show could begin. Interesting fun fact here. Between 1940 and 1958, so predating the television show, Tom and Jerry won seven Academy Awards for Best Animated Short. Yep. Yep. And, and Tom, you know, Tom and Jerry is one. Again, it's, it's my favorite of all the theatrical shorts. I love Tom and Jerry. And I'm a dog person. You know? right. <laughs> but here, here's here's maybe where I'm a bit warped because the same thing holds true for Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner. I always rooted for Tom. Always rooted for Tom. Yeah. And I always rooted for the Coyote. Yeah, I think I, I probably did too. I never rooted for Jerry. Jerry was ever. kind of annoying. Jerry was very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and a I lot wanted, of times he deserved it. He kind of taunted Tom. Oh, so. absolutely. I, no, I was a huge Tomcat fan. Yeah. Um, now, Tom and Jerry too, I believe was the very first time that animation and live action appeared on screen together with mm, the Gene, yes. Ke- Gene Kelly film Anchors Away. Right. Because Jerry, and Jerry actually talks in, in that, right, um, but, right. but he and Gene Kelly dance on screen. That's true. Um, that may be the first time that animation and live action appeared together. Um, do I have permission on the alternates list too? Because I really wanted, to, I, I really wanted to break the rules, and I wanted to include a song from a Tom and Jerry short. <laughs> but sure. obviously, I didn't do it. Do you remember the episode "Is You Is" or "Is You Ain't My Baby"? Tom oh, yeah, singing yeah, yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Yes, yes, oh, yes. I want to include that on the yeah, alternate yeah. list. It is one of my favorite animated song sequences of all time. Um, no, I I love Tom and Jerry. I did not include, like I said, any of the theatrical shorts. I mean, Looney Tunes obviously made it with the Bugs Bunny show, but I just. I don't know. I, I didn't do it because, again, most of the theme songs were so short. And I'm thrilled that you did. I'll even own that one. Oh, yeah. I'm over the moon that you included it. And then it goes, slow down, and it would start. Yep, yep. No. Love Tom and Jerry. Okay, well, again, I am on my alternate list. And that takes me then to my number two alternate and I mentioned earlier that the Animaniacs were second to another Spielberg production with Warner Brothers. That original would have been Tiny Toon Adventures. That's another one you loved. I, oh, I still do, actually. Uh, Tiny Toon Adventures, it, it debuted in 1990. Um, and it was Warner Brothers' response to Walt Disney Company's triumphant return to television with the formation of their Walt Disney Television Animation Studio. Uh, Disney had released first the, the Adventures of the Gummy Bears, which was a success. It was followed up by the even stronger DuckTales, and then Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers was on the way. 
So Warner Brothers president Tim, uh, Terry Semmel, he, he took notice and decided that he wanted his studio, Warner Brothers, to reach the same level of success. He actually envisioned a series where it would be younger versions of the Looney Tunes characters. And, kind of like Muppet Babies? Yeah, exactly. I, the 1980s, um, you know, in the 1980s, there was this string of shows that... <laughs> baby eyes, that everything. It was called baby, Babyfication, yeah. actually. That was the term for it. Uh, it was a process by which, you know, stylish characters were represented as younger versions. You had uh, the Muppet Babies, Tom and Jerry Kids, the Flintstone Kids, a pup named Scooby-Doo. And we're still not away from it with Baby Yoda, but that's a whole other story. Oh, uh, I, that, <laughs> I love me some Baby Yoda. So, um, But yeah, he wanted little Looney Tunes characters. And Spielberg... You know, he had expressed interest in working with Warner and the Looney Tunes uh, characters, but he, he was approached with Samuel's idea, and he said he was interested in it, but he wanted the opportunity to create new characters. Um, and so it was decided that the idea would focus instead on young tunes, similar to the established characters, but having no direct relation. Uh, the idea moved forward. Initially, they were going to make a feature film. But Spielberg decided that, that a series would reach a broader audience, and what he came up with, of course, was Tiny Toon Adventures. It was a series set in the fictional uh, town of Acme Acres uh, that would focus on the next generation of Looney Tunes characters. And to become stars, the young characters attended Acme Luniversity, uh, where the seasoned veterans, uh, Bugs and Daffy, uh, you know, etc., would educate them in the various methods needed to be a cartoon star, from taking an anvil to the head to being exploded. Um, and with his name on the marquee, Spielberg had final say on everything. I and mean, he literally uh, funneled in additional capital to ensure the highest quality out of the production. He he gave the first season a total budget of $25 million. And one part of that quality in a stipulation of Spielberg's was to have full animation in every episode um, rather than the limited animation studios like Hanna-Barbera. So as a result, the animation was much more fluid and involved almost double the amount of animation cells a standard television cartoon would employ. He also insisted that the show employ a full orchestra much like the Looney Tunes shorts, theatrical shorts had. And the studio initially was resistant to that idea because of the cost, but eventually they relented and agreed because you don't, you don't anger Steven, it's Spielberg. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. We're tiny, we're toony, we're all a little loony. And in this cartoony, we're invading your TV. We're comic dispensers, we crack up all the censors. Tiny Toons, it made its debut um, in 1990, and, um, you know, it, it was just, to me, it was incredible. I mean, two words alone, Baby Plucky, which probably, I don't know if you ever saw a Baby Plucky episode, but... I didn't watch Tiny Toons. Didn't watch it at all, huh? Nope. Okay. That was my cynical high school years. Yeah, no, like, 19, yeah, that would, yeah, started our junior, junior year. Yeah. Junior. Um, but yeah, they were tiny, they were toony, they were all a little loony. You know, the, the character sang before breaking the fourth wall. It's another one that breaks the fourth wall because they let us know that in this cartoony they're invading our TV. I do want to say one more thing about yes, Tiny Toons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. th this I find, I always found amazing. This is just, 
this speaks to the character of Spielberg, okay? The show employed a, a blend of classic slapstick gags, pop culture references, parodies, etc., etc. But they also employed several writers on the show. But the most famous were actually a trio of eighth graders, okay? Three fans of the show, their names were Renee Carter, Sarah Kreef, and Amy Crosby. They wrote a 120-page script based off of a doodle of Carter's that looked like Babs Bunny wearing a grass skirt. Hmm. And in 1990, they sent the script, just three eighth-grade kids, they sent the script out to Spielberg for consideration as an episode. They never expected, you know, anything to become it. They never expected to hear back. A Warner Brothers employee accidentally opened the package and impressed by the contents, he forwarded it down the chain until it landed on Spielberg's desk. Spielberg was so impressed by what he saw, he invited these three girls uh, from Waynesboro, Virginia. He flew them in to his offices at Universal Studios where they, they were presented at a press conference. They took part in a writer's meeting regarding their episode. And the episode was titled Buster and Babs Go Hawaiian. And during the show's second season, when it aired, um, the episode actually featured animated cameos of the three girls hmm. and Spielberg himself. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, that to me, I just little anecdote I really wanted to share because yeah. it's, it's just so awesome. So, all right, I'm done with that one. Your turn. I'm... This one I am not going to sing either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, some people have said that this song sounds a lot like the Jay Giles band, Centerfold. We might have a match. <laughs> I first heard of these little blue characters. Oh, no, we don't have a match. Okay. When... Uh, or, or, oh, you, you, you included the Smurfs. Well, oh. I have... The, the, listen, <laughs> oh, again, we have to make choices based on... We do. Yeah. Theme songs that are iconic. And how do you not talk about oh. the La La song? I know. With yeah. the Smurfs. You're, you're right. You're right. I, I had them on my list two or three times. I took them off two or three times because it, it is it's a small world. For it is. Saturday it is. And I'm not defending it. Now, I defended it's a small world because I love the ride. Right. Um, I, for Smurfs lore for me, I don't know about you because this is before we met. But I remember, you know, taking vacations with my family when I was probably late elementary. And it seemed like any gift shop you would go into would have a glass case of these little blue figures. Yep. And they were like a couple bucks each. And you could collect them. And what better than, you know, kids love to collect stuff. And so anytime we'd go to a gift shop, I would spend my my whatever vacation allowance on collecting these. And then I noticed, like, I'd come back to school and other kids would also um, collect them. And so we would, you know, try to, of course, we didn't have the Internet back then, so you couldn't go find I, it might have actually come with a card or in the store. I think the store might have had a card that showed all of them. But either way, it was fun to collect stuff, and we collected Smurfs. Um, having no idea that they were based on a comic strip um, from Europe or anything like that. And then came along the television show that popularized, um, or probably was built because of the collecting trend that kids were enjoying at the time. And that began in 1981 and ran uh, through 1989, actually, on NBC. Another Hanna-Barbera production. And it was based on that, uh, like I said, a, Bel- a Belgium comic strip by Peyo. I remember Peyo, it always, I think it was on the foot, on the, on the reverse side of the figures, it said Peyo. As a kid, we never knew what that meant, but that was the original comic strip artist. And that actually, he started that in 1958. 
Um, the show was nominated for many daytime uh, Emmy Awards, including the Outsta- Outstanding Children's Entertainment Series for 1982 and 1983. And I remember watching it probably that first season. I probably watched it. I don't, I don't think I carried over to the next season, but I do remember watching some of them. Unfortunately, a series of live-action CGI movies have been developed in the last decade um, with the Smurfs. I think one of them starring Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, but their theme, um, also known as the La La Song, is the melody that a Smurf sings, usually when that Smurf is happy. And yes, it is a bit of an earworm. And yes, I do apologize to our listening audience. That's okay. <laughs> I'll forgive you. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I did. I had them on my list several times. Here's the thing. I was never a Smurfs fan is part of the problem. Um, never never watched this. Well, I, I watched them. I saw episodes. But I just never cared for the cartoon. Gargamel and Azriel, yeah. Papa Smurf, and the one and one female Smurf. That yeah, was Smurfette. the weirdest thing. Well, Smurf, if I remember correctly, she was created by Gargamel to try and infiltrate the Smurfs. I don't, I don't remember my Smurf, I, Smurfology. I, I could be wrong on that, but I vaguely recall reading somewhere that Gargamel created Smurfette to infiltrate the, the Smurfs and find, I don't, I don't know. Um, but yeah, she was, she was, she was a looker. So I also had Papa Smurf who was the only elderly yeah, one of the bunch. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, apparently Smurfs. the only one that could grow facial hair. La, la, everybody else la, shaved. La, la. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, no, you're right. It deserves a place, and I, I fought with myself several times. You I didn't just, collect the figurines, though. No, I, no. I didn't mm. do, I did not do Smurfs. I just, for whatever reason, I was just not a fan. And um, that may be, I mean, this is to show how petty I was. We, my family went to Kings Island. Oh, they had Smurfland as a down kid. There. Yes, yeah. um, well, it was Hanna Barbera Land, right. um, and the orig- when it, when the park opened because we went all through the seventies. Um, they had the Scooby Doo roller coaster. Yeah, they, the whole that? yeah Hanna Barbera Land and all the classic uh, Hanna Barbera cartoons were represented, but they had what was called the Fantastic Voyage, and you would get into the the boat and you would float into a an oversized television show or a television set rather, and as you went through all of the Hanna Barbera Cartoons right. yep. were represented in you know animatronics and I mean, I used to demand as a kid we would ride that Fantastic Voyage ride probably six or seven times before I'd leave the park because I was such a cartoon nut and all of the Hanna Barbera cartoons were there. Well, then I think it was eighty two eighty three they stripped the Fantastic Voyage and turned it into a Smurfs ride. Yeah. Scooby Doo ride became Beast Junior. Yeah. Yeah, I became the Beast Junior. But when when they turned it into the Smurfs ride, I was so pissed off. <laughs> I, I think it just turned me off of Smurfs entirely because that 
the Fantastic Voyage, I mean, more than any other ride, any other park, even Disney, which we went to a few times when I was a kid, the Fantastic Voyage was my ride. And when they stripped it and turned it into a Smurfs ride, man, I just, I think that was probably the end of my... A little trauma there. The end of my beginning trauma. of even giving Smurfs the chance, yeah. I apologize for triggering you on that one. That's okay, I'll forgive you. <laughs> so, all right, here we go. Uh, I have two picks left for my alternates, and I have... About five to choose from. Now, now it gets hairy. Um, I could give you the biggest earworm in history uh, of of the animation, which is another La La song, by the way, which is what I thought you were about to to name. Um, or I could go Disney. I could go uh, Gumshoe Cyber uh, What's Detective. The other La La song. I could also do the last uh, the last production by Jay Ward, or I could. Uh, talk Bill Cosby, which well, it's not well, good. well, no, because I know Fat Albert's a classic. Yeah, it is, and I I struggled with it, but I did include it on my alternates because, and I I justified it. There, there's a reason why it's there. The question is, which one do I go with? Of What's the, the, okay? Give me a hint on the other La La song. Okay, I'll just include it. Or, well, I, well, I, you well just, just give me a hint. Okay, I'm not I'm not going to make it one of my choices, but it is the banana splits. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. Tra yeah. la 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 okay, la yep, la. Yep, yep, yep. One banana, two yep. banana, three banana, four. No, I didn't even think um, about that one. I might have included. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. It, I mean, it is probably the thing. I think it's a bigger earworm than the Smurfs. Yeah, yeah. Quite frankly, um, yeah. in the footage of that opening. I but mean, that, but see, that was live action though, not animated. It was, well, it was live action, but it had anim. It was cross. Oh, it was, I think that's why I didn't include it because yeah, the um, theme the theme credits were not animated. Right, but yeah, the basically the the banana splits. Um, you know, the format it was it was. Actually, a popular sketch comedy based on Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In, originally. And the, the four, Flegel, um, what was it? Flegel, uh, I don't want to get this wrong. Uh, it was uh, Flegel the dog, Bingo the ape, Drooper the lion, and Snorky the elephant. They actually made an appearance on uh, Laugh-In at one point. But it was um, basically, in the Splits characters, they actually, um, every show represented a meeting of what was called the Banana Splits Club. And... Uh, this featured adventures of the four live-action costumed club members who acted as a musical quartet meant to be reminiscent of the monkeys. Again, the monkeys were very prominent, I they guess. Were. And their segments, though, they included songs of the week and they included comedy skits, but really they served as wraparounds between hosting uh, three different segments. There was a live-action segment called Danger Island, and then there were two animated segments, Arabian Nights and the Three Musketeers. So basically, they emceed the show, and at least probably half of the show was animated. Gotcha. It, it yeah. was uh, Arabian Nights and the, and the Three Musketeers yeah, right, animated right, shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I just gave enough information about it that I could include it. But I'm I'm gonna skip it. I'm I'm actually my next one. I'm gonna go with Ducktales. Okay. Ducktales. Never watched Ducktales. Never so. watched Duck. Oh, Dave. Dave, Dave, Dave. <laughs> I never cared for Donald Duck. Uh, oh, you're killing me. Donald is my favorite of the Mickey gang here. Really? Yeah. I, I don't love. like Mickey either, so. <laughs> and yet you go to Disney how often? I like Disney because of the park <laughs> itself. Yeah, I'm, but it's Mickey's Park. Okay. Well, uh. yeah, it's a park, but yeah, I guess. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> all right. At last count, let me, let me justify this for you. At last count, a search for DuckTales theme on YouTube provided 362,000 results. Wow. Uh, you can listen to the DuckTales theme done a cappella or with willing power metal vocals or as a Hungarian power pop, Scott-tinged rock, 
or in the style of an 8-bit video game uh, chiptune track performed by a brass band or the clarinet section of the Penn State Blue Band. There's an R&B slow jam rendition, a soulful bedroom performance by a pre... You know, each one you mention, you have to put on the mentioned songs list now. Should I stop? <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> I stop? I'm just well, that's, that's a lot. People can um, look it up. Yeah, there's there's a pre-Glee Darren Chris uh, singing a very I don't even soulful like, bedroom I don't even performance. Picture the song. Um, that's all right. I'll, I'll hear uh, it. Yeah, we'll I'll yeah we'll get it on here shortly. But um, just seemingly endless versions performed on solo acoustic guitar, electric guitar, bass guitar, piano drums. I mean, it's it's everywhere. There's a parodic riff performed on duct tape. Mm, <laughs> okay, nice. and there are takes by scientifically accurate and college humor, and at least one alarmingly not safe for work spoof um, that we'll not talk about. But but one video with 1.1 million views pairs the the unaltered original music of the clip with single ladies, and this this was very famous at the time because Beyonce's dance it, it is timed perfectly. You can actually she can do her dance to the Ducktales theme. Mm. Very scary to watch. <laughs> Another video with seven times as many views as that uh, recreates the opening sequence with actual ducklings, which is pretty damn impressive, really, for a 37-year-old animated theme song. You know, this is different than Darkwing Duck. Yeah, Darkwing. Dark, yeah, Darkwing is dif- different. Because are they the little ducks, like the kid ducks? Yeah, it was Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Okay. Um, Donald joins the Navy, and he enlists the help of his uncle Scrooge to take care of his nephews. That's right. That was, and, so that was like late '80s, right? Early '90s. Uh, well, it, it debuted in '87. That so makes yeah, sense. Yeah. So I was done watching um, cartoons by then. Yeah, but but the actual theme. I mean, just to give you well, Ducktales. It aired in more than 100 countries in 25 different languages. It was the first American cartoon broadcast in the former Soviet Union. After the Cold War, so it's that's responsible for bringing down the Iron Curtain. Possibly, yes. And in Hungary, uh, those born in the early to mid '80s, their generation is known as the Ducktales generation. Really, I kid you not. That's what they name the generation. Only in Korea, and only for a time, did the show have a completely different theme song. It was a nauseating little ditty, replete with irritating quacking noises, and performed by children. But that unfortunate, unfortunate aside, Mueller's theme song. It was free to become a global phenomenon, and it did, for good reason. It's not only a high point of an underrated musical form, but it is an exquisite miniature pop classic. I had to have heard right. it then. I'm sure that I've heard um, it. And it, it features a woo-hoo, a repeated woo-hoo in the chorus that makes the woo-hoos of the Pointer Sisters' Neutron Dance feel cheerlessly unspontaneous by comparison. I mean, it's just this enthusiastic creation that, I mean, you know, that the the opening bass line... Uh, you know, it's reminiscent of Hall and Oates, You Make My Dreams, or Kenny Logan's Footloose. Um, you know, you have a, a power combination of Quincy Jones uh, is involved here, um, as is uh, Jerry Hay and Bill Reichenbach. They were the ones that put together Earth, Wind, and Fire's, uh, you know, discography, as well as Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, and it's just, you know, there are key changes that, could compare to Bon Jovi's "Living on a Prayer." I mean, the the, the actual Jeez. this is a this is really an '80s pop classic. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. Race cars, lasers, aeroplanes. It's a duck blur. Might solve a mystery.
This theme song, I mean, it, it's one for the ages. It has right. to be included. I'm glad so. you included it. Then. Yep, DuckTales. I have three um, left. I have three on my, my list. How many choices do I have left? Two. Two. So I have to pick two of the three. Okay. Um, one I watched, one I did not watch, and one I saw a few episodes of. I'm going to go with one that I did watch because I watched it and because it's a classic. And it, I was wrong earlier. This is the last one now on my list. That also began as the, a theatrical short. Another one. Okay. Yes. And I, I, I'm including this because the song is, the theme is so iconic. You could make an argument that it may be the most iconic. Okay. Well, can I guess? Yeah. By my count, you only really have two, about two left. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking Popeye or Casper. I'm thinking Popeye because. Okay. The uh, d- didn't you with your friends maybe again in elementary school we were pretty much separated. We were you smart kids, um, <laughs> but we loved making off-color versions of Popeye. I can't say that we did and that. Popeye the Sailor Man. I live in a garbage can. Oh well, I remember. Yeah, we did that. I, or no, I sit on a frying pan. I turn up the gas and burn up my beep, Popeye. I mean, we would just make up. I I remember variations of it. I remember hearing kids sing variations. Yes, of it. we were on the playground at the same time. We just weren't allowed. Well, to play you probably together. heard us. So I probably up, heard you. We were all making up dirty yeah. lyrics to Popeye the Folks, Sailor. It was night. really bizarre because I, yeah, <laughs> I, I was in enrichment classes and we and were, I was we a, were kind, it was, I was a it was, dummy. It was well, you hardly, uh, but we were we were segregated for whatever reason. They didn't let us mix, so it was it was just really. <laughs> we might we might rub dumb on you. Yeah, well, yeah, well, it just makes me sad. You and I probably would have been best friends long before high school. Had we had the opportunity to meet so well we were we were making up dirty lyrics <laughs> i did plenty of that just not with you so but um, but not for popeye this is uh yeah popeye and i watched a little bit i didn't watch as much as tom and jerry Woody woodpecker but i do remember watching as a kid um again it's based on old comic strips turned theatrical shorts um and the series this series however began a little different whereas the other series just took the content that was already created and reformatted it for the show um, these were all new episodes that were created for the television show. The show began in 1960. It ran till 63. It was syndicated. Um, but, and I did notice this, because I think later on they would show the earlier theatrical ones too, because the thing I noticed most about, some, sometimes his name was Bluto and sometimes it was Brutus. Brutus, yeah. And, that's, and the reason is the, the old ones would have been Bluto, but the rights of the original comic strip for the name Brutus... I'm sorry, for Bluto was not available. So for the TV show cartoons, hmm. they had to change it to Brutus. See, I never knew which came first. and I, did, I didn't yeah. research this one for the episode. Yeah, so. Bluto was the original and changed to Brutus. There were a few other changes because of rights disputes. But the original TV show were all original ma- cartoons made for the television show, not a rehash of the old theatrical ones. But, you know, I remember watching the theatrical after school. Oh, they, I think on later TV. on they added them and started mixing okay. them for our generation. Okay. But I mean for the actual 1963, 60 to 63 Popeye. Got it. It was called Popeye the Sailor is what the, the name of the show was. Okay. And those were all new. Yeah. But, yes, eventually then I'm sure they began to right. air the old ones. Because they, there were variations of the theme song, too. And I remember somewhere in black and white and the, the credits would open and close with yes. shutters on the right. boat. Right, and, right, right, right. Yeah. 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 
despite my enjoyment of the series as a kid, I never wanted to eat spinach. I I've I've come to enjoy fresh spinach, like in salads. Oh yeah, I do. But well, as a and, kid, it didn't make. Well, any I mean, as a spinach. kid, no. My mom used to buy canned spinach, and she would cook it, and it looked like the most disgusting. I never never tried it because she tried her damnedest, but I it looked so disgusting to me. Now, what was the worst part to come out of Popeye? That might have been uh, the early 80s. I think it was 1982. Robert Altman film, uh, no less. I love that. Popeye starring... That was Robin Williams. Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. Come on. Well, okay. Here. I'll hear you out. Go ahead. You know, the last time I saw it was the first time I saw it as a kid when I went to the movie theater and saw it. Okay. And I remember just being really, like, scarred for life. (laughs) I, I I should go back and give it... I just remember, I am what I am what I am. In the beginning, opening scene, it was like a musical. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, yeah. And and I think, like, was Burgess Meredith his dad or something? I believe he played Pappy, yeah. Yeah, and I think I had the storybook as a kid. Anyway, maybe it's a great film. I mean, Robert Altman's a great director, so I should go back go, and take a look go at back that. And, go back and give it a fair, fair right. look as an adult. I, I will, I will. I and mean, if, you, if you grew up on the cartoons, I will yeah? give you, because I okay. remember... I didn't see it in theater, but I saw it on the movie channel after we got cable, um, like as a tween. And I wasn't a fan of it then either, but I've watched it several times since. Okay. And it's, it's actually very witty, very clever. And Williams, oh my God, Robin Williams can do no wrong. Well, I mean, so, for Robin Williams alone, yes. Yeah. And, 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 and Shelly, but here's the thing Shelly Duvall is olive oil, still looks like Shelly Duvall from The Shining. <laughs> what? So, and at the time, like, I didn't know Shelly Duvall from The Shining. Oh, okay. Which fair is, enough, which yeah. is good. I, I would have been too young. Yeah. I, mean, I kept, know, kept waiting for Robin Williams to, you know, hack through a door and say, here's Popeye. So it's, <laughs> it's like, um, but no, I um, did not include Popeye. I I was never a huge Popeye fan, really. I, I, I remember watching the cartoons, but he, he was definitely my least favorite of the theatrical crossovers. Um, I know a lot of people that swear by him. I mean, he's legendary. He's iconic. Um, and he was actually one of the few that Spielberg could not get the rights to for, again, Roger Rabbit. So, right, right. so many of the theatrical. He couldn't get Tom and Jerry, Popeye. He had Casper, but he got edited out and I don't remember the Casper theme song, by the way. Casper, the friendly ghost. Oh, the yeah. Ghost. I almost That's included true. that one. Yeah, I totally um, forgot about I, that. I actually, I loved Casper when I was very little. Yeah, I did too. Because yeah. I, I, I dressed up as Hol- yeah. for Halloween as Casper. Again, I, I was a horror fan from a young age. Yeah. And while, while Casper was a friendly ghost. you know. Another he, unfortunate CGI live action yeah, adaptation. we're not going to talk about that. Um, okay, so I have one left. Um I can go. Here are my my remaining uh, choices. I have Inspector Gadget, Go Gadget Go, and that's on my list as an alternate as well. I will good. Then I will skip that one. Um, well, well, I don't know that I'm still going to pick well, that one. Well, up. no, but I mean, I'll leave it up to you. Is my point? Okay. Uh, I have George of the Jungle. I have, that's my second. Those are my last two. <laughs> those are your last two. Okay. Those are my last. Two. Uh, so I will leave both of those up to you. I have um, Fat Albert. Which I'm hey, really, hey, t- hey. I'm really tempted to include. I and I'll, we'll talk about Cosby, um, but uh, I, I have Fat Albert, and then I also have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go Fat Albert. Okay. And you know, I, I really like many other episodes with many other songs that we've talked about in the past. I very nearly left this off, um, but there's a reason. I. I'll, I'll go into it here. Uh, first of all, The Adventures of Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, the theme song is titled Gonna Have a Good Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out in 1972. And here's the thing. Despite how tarnished his reputation is, I mean, we know now he drugged and raped 
women. I mean, Cosby is not a good guy. I hope he never sees the light of day. But there's no denying that he spent a good portion of his life trying to educate children. And that that's just there. And I'm not not in any way, you know, suggesting that he is an admirable character. And I'm not going to talk about him a whole lot proceed, you know, continuing here, but in the 70s, Cosby decided to use his stories about growing up in the Philadelphia projects as his latest tool for teaching. Uh, centered around these stories was Fat Albert, a very large and heavy boy who would always be heard saying, you know, hey, 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 hey. And, okay, you just popped ours. I did. <laughs> I had to. I wanted to. Um, but, who was the kid whose hat went over his eyes and he had like, eyeball holes? Yeah, that one hat. was. Uh, was it Mushroom Head or Mushmouth? No, Mushmouth was different. That was uh, probably. I, I don't have all of the kids listed here. Um, and it's been years since I've seen it. But anyway, might have been Rudy. Might have been. Uh, I just I, remember I, that I kid. Know. He had the. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but regardless, I, here's the thing about Fat Albert. Um, Cosby, he joined forces with with then new Filmation Associates, uh, and he shot the project around until Fred Silverman at CBS greenlit the series. The stories dealt with issues kids were actually facing during the time, and and Cosby wanted to ensure that they were addressing them properly and in, in a way befitting their audience. A panel of educators from UCLA was used as consultants on the topics, while B- Gordon Berry. Uh, who was a doctor of education, he served as an editor and going through each script and helping the writers through problems and suggesting alternative ways to do or say something. Um, the, the result, the show dealt with a variety of very heavy subjects such as drugs, gang violence, racism, death. Um, and of course, this was on Saturday morning, you know, and it was tailored for, I mean, to keep it appropriate for the audience, but, um, you know, it was very real. It was, and on the lighter side, they also covered topics like stage fright, first loves, personal hygiene, etc. But but Barry always ensured, yeah, well, you know, but but, but Barry always ensured uh, to keep out generalities to eliminate the perception of good and bad amongst the characters, and instead focus on well-meaning children who just happen to cause mischief by not knowing any better at the time. Um, you know, it became the first cartoon that was focused on urban youths. And it was realistic uh, in its backgrounds. I mean, they were dilapidated, vandalized, uh, abandoned, crumbling backgrounds. You know, very honest and very true for, for what many urban youths grew up, you know, finding in their neighborhoods. Of course, the show was designed to be accessible to anyone, not just those from a similar environment. Um, the show also was essential in fighting stereotypes. First, of hefty people being dumb and clumsy. Because although obese, Albert was active, fairly intelligent, his friends liked him for his size, his friend Mushmouth was also a character that was accepted by his friends despite a strange speech impediment. Um, he always added that B sound to the end of words whenever he talked, and the acceptance of both Albert and Mushmouth by their friends was a rare thing, and it sent a positive message to the viewers. Joining the two of them were Dumb Donald, Dumb Donald, he was the one that had the, the okay. hat. Yeah, Dumb Donald. Old Weird Harold Bucky, uh, Bucky was named for his pronounced large teeth. Um, you know, th- th- it was a group of, of, of boys that accepted one another in part because they were all, I think, in some way outcasts, which, you know, has been, and that that's Stephen King's It, right. before he wrote sure, Stephen King's sure. It, yeah. Um, and, and largely, um, there was also a prominent adult figure. Uh, it was the homeless Mudfoot Brown who would dispense wisdom upon the kids in various episodes, uh, sometimes using reverse psychology on them to get 
his point across. And with education and comedy firmly in place, the final element to the series was music. The kids, they formed their own band in a junkyard that they frequented by making instruments of their own out of various pieces of trash. Albert played a bagpipe accordion made out of a radiator, uh, funnel and airbag. Mushmouth had a homemade bass guitar. Donald used a trombone made out of a pipe and a Victrola's uh, morning glory horn. Bill played drums made out of trash cans and spoon with spoons of sticks. Russell had a xylophone made out of empty cans and a coat rack. Harold played either a harp made of bed springs or a percussion on a dressmaker's dummy. Rudy played a banjo comprised of a broomstick handle, sewing, you know, thread spool and, and strings. Um, and, and Bucky played a stovepipe organ. So just the imagination that was at play and the, the very creative, very R&B, you know, soundtrack that, that was so prominent in, in the episode. And it, it really, you know, the music was used to help drive home this message of the episode, uh, that the episode was fun and catchy, um, but it, it wasn't overbearing or imposing, and it, it never potentially lost the viewer. And on the episodes dealing with particularly serious themes, they would forgo the gang's musical performance. Um, but yeah, the, the series theme song was composed by Ricky Sheldon and Ed Fournier, and uh, Fat Albert's singing voice was Michael Gray. Uh, you know, Fournier and Kim Carnes, the 80s singer Kim Carnes was oh. involved. Hmm. Um, Fournier was the primary songwriter for the series, quickly working off the, the concepts of the scripts in order to tie the music into the lessons. And six songs were recorded within a day after a brief practice session for each one. Um, it, it just, you know, to me, it was so... And I, I hate giving credit to Cosby for anything. I do. But this was a show that was very deliberately created for, you know, a, a portion of, you know, just a, a, a very deprived uh, demographic. And it was urban youth, it was honest, it was educational, you had outcasts that were respected, and I, and the music was stellar. It just was. Hey, hey, hey! It's Bud Albert, and I'm gonna sing a song for you. And Bill's gonna show you a thing or two. Okay, so I have one more. One more, yes. Okay, so it's between Inspector Gadget and George of the Jungle. Um, Inspector Gadget, I watched a few episodes, um, but it was you know not one that I watched a lot. Again, it came out in 83, so right about the time I probably stopped watching cartoons for the most part. I remember that's when Return of the Jedi came out, and I started buying or asking for Christmas for the toys to do collect. Remember, do you remember the first Star Wars cartoons? Ewoks and droids? Yeah, that was I think past the time. Yeah, Wait, yeah, it? yeah. Because oh, like oh. I say, I was I was getting the toys to collect more than okay. play with at that time. Yeah, that's I remember. It's just that was kind. Of, I kind of grew up. Yeah, they were very brief, but yeah, there there were the first two animated Star yeah. Wars episodes. I mean, cartoons. Four yeah. years earlier, I would have loved that. You know, right. But, yeah. But yeah, I was kind of I was kind of done with Star Wars at the time. Um, but Inspector Gadget theme is one of the, one of the iconic themes of the 80s oh yeah and um that's why i wanted to include that maybe um that was the best part of the show in my mind you know what's the theme song well just on an aside too not to steal your thunder but uh 
McKinley, we, we graduated from McKinley High School. I was on drumline, and one of our cadences was the Inspector Gadget oh, was it? theme. Hmm. Yeah, we would march to it. So that, you know, definitely made my alternates list just for that alone. The show later produced a live action film starring Matthew Broderick, which I never saw, but. Uh, you don't want to. <laughs> so. <laughs> so then I go to my next choice, which is George of the Jungle. And I, I'm going to include this, even though I've never watched an episode of the show. And I would venture to say. You've never seen George of the Jungle. Most people probably hadn't, right? Well, it, yeah, there were only, there, there were very few episodes. It, very few episodes. It ran in 1967. In fact, it was only like half a season. It ran from September to December, and that was it. Um, partly because the show wasn't budgeted correctly. The producer was so happy with the results that you mentioned Spielberg. Spielberg can afford to dump money into a project and take a loss. Jay Ward um, couldn't. This particular um, the studio could not, and so it was. It was a good show from from what I gather. Um, lots of puns and. The animation was 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 you know probably a lot more advanced or at least more technical than some of its contemporaries. The reason I'm going to include it, um, despite the fact that it inspired a 2007 reboot, um, or 2000, which was, the reboot series was 2007. Yeah, and there was the a, 1997 live action Brendan Fraser yeah, movie. Like Matthew Broderick, you can skip that. Skip that. <laughs> the reason I'm going to include it is because I had a record album in 1985. By one Weird Al Yankovic. Yep. It, yeah, I remember that track. And that was one was of my favorite albums of all time, which also included like Yoda, which was the parody of the Kinks Lola. I th- well, I thought George of the Jungle was on 3D. That would that would be the one that had Eat It and I don't think so. Like a I'm pretty sure this was on Dare to Be Stupid. I know it's on Dare to Be Stupid. Well, Yoda wasn't on Dare to Be Stupid. Yo- Yoda, yep, yep. Yoda was on the first one. It was on the Weird Al Yankovic. Okay, folks, we're gonna live five fact check right now. Okay. Because yeah. I know no, Yoda, this Yoda, is my favorite Yoda was album. not on Dare to be Stupid. Yeah, it was. No one? Yeah, yeah no one, yes, it was. I'm going to win this one, folks. Dare to be Stupid. Let's go to the Wikipedia entry. Let's go to the track list. Yoda! Look at that. Number five. Track number five. Right after that, George of the Jungle. Yes, because I, I listened to this album nonstop. Yoda was on Dare to be Stupid. Yes. And like a surgeon, then it was Dare to be Stupid, which was the original. Uh, I want a new duck, which is I want a new drug. One more minute, which is the other original, may, probably his greatest original, Gr- greatest original ever, of all yeah. time. Then Yoda, then George of the Jungle, and up to that point, I didn't listen to side two as much. Side one, I just I listened to constantly. So that's the only reason Damn. I was so sure. Why of am I remembering it on his first? Because the first album featured Ricky, which was a, well, I think he had a couple before. Which was well, yeah, he had Weird Al, and then he had Three uh, D. Three D was Eat It. That was the big one. Um, but the original had Ricky, which was Lucille Ball impersonator doing Mickey. Uh, it had... Uh, so 83 had, was Weird Al Yankovic, Another right? one rides the bus. 3D was 84. And then Dare to be Stupid. Correct. Yeah. I, okay. I stand corrected. Yep. I, I should not have sounded so confident. I know. <laughs> now everyone knows that Dave's prowess is far, far exceeds mine. It's uh, not. <laughs> it's the fact that I listened to the album well, nonstop. Well, it's the only reason I know that. I had every one of these albums myself on vinyl, but I... For whatever reason, I was thinking he was on the first one, Weird Al Yankovic, because that was another one, Rides the Bus, and I Love Rocky Road. And But but I wasn't even aware at the time that it was a theme song for a television show. I just thought it was another original, like One More Minute and Dare to be Stupid. And it was later on that I realized it was from a TV show. So um, that's the version I know. I love the theme, and this is about TV themes, so I'm going to include it. Of the jungle, strong as he can be. Ah, 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 
watch out for that tree. George, George, George of the jungle lives a life that's free. Watch out for that tree. When he gets in the street, he makes his escape with the help of his friend. And ding, ding, ding. Then away he'll schlep on his elephant ship while fella and Ursula stay in step. George of the jungle, friend to you and me. Watch out for that tree. Watch out for that tree. I remember watching George of the Jungle. I've seen it. Um, and, you know, it was the titular character. He was big-hearted, but he was dim-witted. He was king of the jungle. It was a Tarzan parody. Right. There were seven, was. only yeah. 17 episodes. Right. Uh, he, he was a bumbling ape-man. His preferred method of travel was by swinging on vines, which always resulted in his crashing face-first into trees. Um, he lived with his mate Ursula in a treehouse, which he always forgot was a treehouse. So <laughs> that resulted in, in him falling to the ground whenever he left in a running gag. And uh, George, he could never remember the name of Ursula, and he simply referred to her as Fella, regarding her as a strange-looking man who didn't shave. Um, and that's why there were two of her seen dancing in the show's intro uh, to plan George's confusion over identity. Uh, George's best friend was an intelligent ape named Ape. And his pet was an elephant named Shep, who behaved exactly like a dog and only responded to being called as such. Um, yeah, it was Jay Ward's last cartoon. Uh, Jay Ward, of course, he... That was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky and Bullwinkle, which I uh, almost included, but again, the theme song. Yeah, the theme. There isn't is, much of a there theme There isn't song. much, yeah. But Rocky, Bullwinkle, Boris, Natasha, Peabody, and Sherman. He also did Dudley Do Right. Right. Um, yeah, George of the Jungle was his last. It was really the only one that had a, a significant theme song. I mean, that, you know, that I almost call it a guilty pleasure in the right. realm of cartoon sure. theme music because that drum beat is purely hypnotic. You know, the boom, 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 ba doom. I mean, it's just, it lays a beat that's just infectious. So. Yep, yep. All right. And I, I want to include the Weird Al version on our alternate oh, song. Oh, yeah. All right. So in, for future reference, when Dave is confident, <laughs> Which I, is not I, I relent. Often. I relent. I concede. I, and I've been wrong. <laughs> I've been asked confident and wrong before. I, I was willing oh, to admit it. But. Well, you know what? We've made several errors. I mean, we've, we've had listeners and, and fans of the, the podcast correct us. I mean, we, we said that... Uh, you know, Todd Bridges was dead. We did. From, we did say that. And Todd Bridges is not He's dead. Not dead. Gary, Gary Coleman has passed. Todd However, Bridges. if I will say, if you want to argue with us, at least listen to the episode first. True. Yes. We we had a viewer <laughs> last week that kept wanting to argue our choices for remote control. Too. You saw that too. Okay. Yeah, and which he was bringing up great points, but he, he was, was bringing up points that we addressed on the show. Yeah, exactly. And you very nicely said, "Well, maybe maybe listen first, and I then tried. we'll discuss." Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely don't want to offend or turn anyone away. And what he was saying was valid, and it was actually very good. But right. Yeah, it's, we had already covered it all. But no, a shout-out to, to Guinevere Llewellyn. She's she's the one that corrected us on on through through message. Uh, she's one of our Mandela, top— It's a Mandela effect. Yeah, you know. she's, she's a top fan and one of our, our best listeners. She, she's the one that corrected us on Todd Bridges. But yeah, we've been—well, even What We Do in the Shadows, which is one of my favorite— which, By the way, I've watched the movie and the series now. Isn't I'm it all caught up. Amazing, Excellent. isn't it? Yes. Oh, it's incredible. But yeah, I think I, I miss— <laughs> I love it. I mean, I watch it all the time. It's one of my one of my favorite shows currently on air, and I called it "Things We Do in the Show." I, you know, called right. it by the wrong. You name. didn't tell me though; it was mockumentary style. That oh. it was basically The Office with vampires, which I would have watched it that night had I known that. Oh, I, well, I didn't think about telling you. The I'm format. ten minutes into it. I'm kind of like, oh, this is The Office with vampires. Yeah, like, exactly. Yes, what it this is. is great. Yeah. Um, supposedly they're coming out with a swear wolves movie and a swear wolves uh, show as well. No, oh, so huh. I don't Very know. Good. We'll wait and see. 
for now, we're going to see. I'm assuming we're going to sequence this, this in the same way as the previous yes, two. Yes, yeah, by, we should keep it consistent. Yeah, but we need to actually figure out what that is. Yep. So we will be right back. And we're back. And just like that, uh, the sequence wasn't too difficult because like our first two previous remote control episodes, we have let chronology take over the sequencing and we have put them in order by the year in which they first appeared on television. That's right. So here we go. Side A of our mixtape would begin with Mighty Mouse from 1955. Then Woody Woodpecker from 1957. The Bugs Bunny Show from 1960 into Popeye from 1960. The Jetsons, 1962, followed by Peanuts from 1965. We have Tom and Jerry, also from 1965, followed by George of the Jungle from 1967. Speed Racer was also 1967, as was then Spider-Man, same year, 67. The Pink Panther, Debuted in 69, followed by Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? In 1969, Josie and the Pussycats came out in 1970. That is followed by Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids from 72. And we end side A, side one, with the new Scooby-Doo movies from 1972. Side two of our cassette, our mixtape, begins with Hong Kong Fooey from 1974, followed by Battle of the Planets from 78, the Smurfs from 1981, Gem and the Holograms from 1985, followed by DuckTales from 87, The Simpsons from 89, Tiny Toon Adventures from 1990, followed by Animaniacs from 93, South Park 1997, followed by Cowboy Bebop from 98, Family Guy was 1999, as was SpongeBob SquarePants, then Teen Titans 2003, Denise and Ferb, 2007, and we end our mixtape with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure from 2012. This will be another fun one. It is. Um, I'm assuming we'll do the playlist on YouTube again. Yeah, it'll be another YouTube playlist, as will be the alternates, and the alternates might be really long. We talked about a lot of... uh, Talked about a lot of cartoons. Well, at least <laughs> so, there's no limit to the amount of no, alternates we can have. Absolutely not. And, um, you know, I kind of like the, the YouTube playlist. Um it's been it's been a nice nice change um but of course we'll be back on spotify next week again folks um but it does make me think maybe next season we can do like a greatest music videos um, mm, that's a good one tape yeah which of course would be youtube again well we could do both i mean sure it's, sure it's the music, but videos but, yeah no but that's... videos i you know we've we've mentioned mtv quite often and that would be a good one that might be a good one to start the season off it with. might be um but but that uh, yeah that, that completes this episode. It is time for our soundtrack segment. I went first with selections, which means you go first with your question. All right, you're eight years old. Sounds like the beginning of my hometown, but it's not. Was he eight years old in my hometown? Eight, eight years, years old. old. I think so. Riding with you. You're eight years old. You're riding shotgun next to your dad in the car as he cranks the volume when this song comes on. Well, when I was eight, I would have been. That would have been 81. My dad really did not listen to anything after 65. <laughs> um, um, I was going to say something probably from uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. Be, yeah, I mean, that, well, or, or Olivia Newton-John. Those were his two. He liked the Stones. But yeah, Frankie Valley trumps everything. I, my guess is he's going to be cranking uh, 
probably big girls don't cry by the four seasons that's that's just i prefer let's hang on but big girls don't cry is a great song i can pick any one of them yeah um but sherry yeah yeah that would that started it all but yeah he uh oh my my good god that that my father loves the four seasons all right uh here you go this is interesting you enter a maximum security prison for the first time Am I entering as a prisoner you, you are, or am I a guest? You, no, you are a prisoner. You're oh, about geez. To be incarcerated. That's you enter a maximum security prison for the first time. Maximum security. So I really did yes, something bad. You did. Okay. Probably, you know. Um, Tore the mattress uh, label off. <laughs> maybe. Or Didn't maybe, rewind my yeah. videotape. Um, all right. So, oh, ooh, blockbuster reference. Uh, <laughs> all right. Be kind Starting over a third time. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, You enter a maximum security prison for the first time. If you could pick one song that tells the other inmates, to not even consider messing with you, what would it be? Yikes. One song to consider... Yeah, like a warning to the other inmates. I mean, you the don't. first thing that comes to mind is Bad to the Bone, but I'm not a big fan of that song. Um, Born to be Wild, which I've already used, I think, as an answer to one of these. Uh, the thing is, I just don't listen to a lot of, like, testosterone-pumped music. Bad to the Bone works. But yeah, I guess that's the first thing that came to mind was Bad to the Bones. I guess I'll, I'll stick with that. Right, George Even Thurgood. though the people would just laugh if I actually played that. They would, yeah. <laughs> that's George Thurgood and the Destroyers, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, I yeah, I mean, I guess with that guitar riff, you know. Uh, standard. Bad to the Bone, and then I'll get my, my butt kicked. <laughs> <laughs> It works. All right. Uh, we want to, again, thank our sponsors. We have, of course, Jay Callahan Painting. Um, good personal friend. I've seen her work. She's actually painted for me. Uh, she's out of the Cleveland area. Uh, old college friend of both uh, Dave and, and myself. Uh, she is amazing at what she does. Jay Callahan Painting, serving the greater Cleveland area. You can find her on Facebook. And certainly, uh, if you have painting needs, she is someone that... You can trust, and she will give you a fair price, and she will do an amazing job. And we have, of course, Affordable Entertainment Live Trivia every Tuesday night. Uh, things have changed a bit. I've been posting on our uh, on our Facebook page uh, changes to the format of the game, and largely stayed the same, but prize, prize give-outs have, have changed a bit. Um, now there are two possible uh, ways to win. Uh, the Instead of one $50 prize uh, for the game winner, the game winner gets $25 uh, as an Amazon gift card, uh, and there is also a last man standing round, uh, a survivor round. And the winner of that round also gets a $25 prize. Um, he's looking for sponsorships beyond ours, and if he gets one, he said... Uh, the episodes that are sponsored, the games that are sponsored, will have a third $25 prize. So you might be able to walk away with $75 uh, potentially uh, during any one of the trivia games. It's from 8 to, 10 p- uh, 8 to 10 p.m. on Tuesday nights. You do not have to be a member of the trivia group to play. We always post the link on our Facebook page. But if you want to join the group, it is now a an open group. It's public. It's no longer a private group. And... Uh, there are advantages to that because he reveals what the rounds will be so you can at least come in prepared. Uh, certainly a lot of fun. Gives you a chance to compete against uh, you know the host of Gen X Mixtape. So 
Hope you'll join us for, for live trivia on Tuesday nights. All right. Hot funk, cool punk, even if it's old junk. Another mix of memories awaits next Sunday. Yes, but for now, press pause, lift that needle, and hit eject. And we will see you on the flip side. We'll be right back. 